You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. I'm here. Aaron's here. Cooley's on the phone today. Uh, We haven't talked to Cooley in a while. Um, I think it was before the Dallas game was the last time you were on. Season's over. They've hired Ron Rivera. Do you like Ron? I I like Ron. I think everybody has started to like Ron. It's been a whirlwind in the park and the building with Ron coming in, and he's executing his ideas, and it's top to bottom, you know going to be Ron Rivera and so we'll uh, we'll find out as Joe Gibbs would always say hey hey we're going to go find out but uh, the one thing you can see is is he's got a vision he's very professional in the way he handles himself and, and handles the people around him he's interested in everything that's going on in the building from top to bottom and he believes in he believes in these guys and the players that he already has you know, uh, we, we've talked about this off the podcast, off the air, so to speak. Um, I just always loved the way his teams played. Like when the, his name first got mentioned, I think I texted you or, or called you and I said, I would love if Ron Rivera became the coach here. And I, I think I also said I'd be surprised if he took the job here. Um, I think in many ways they sort of outkicked their coverage with Rivera. He Cooley, his teams were always well coached, always tough. Um, and I just always felt like his teams got more out of less and almost overachieved. And I know what his record is, you know, people hanging on the six losing seasons in nine years. He came in, he inherited a bad program, took him a while with a rookie court quarterback, and that quarterback's been hurt basically the better part of the last two years as well. Yeah, and when you look at the rest of the hires that have gone on around this league, I mean, McCarthy's a guy that's done it before in Green Bay, but and Rule might be great in Carolina, and Judge might be. The verdict's still out on Judge in uh, in New York. Yeah, good one. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we'll see, but it's it wasn't this hot hiring cycle, well, and we- so they got the guy they wanted immediately, and I think that was. That was smart, knowing that really you had to go get a guy. So um, here's what everybody wants to know, and if you're comfortable answering it, answer it. And if you're not, that's okay too, and I think people will understand. But you know what everybody wants to know, and that is, does he actually have complete control? Like, is he making and calling all the shots? The hires and the people that are leaving the building and the people that are coming into the building would indicate the answer is for now, yes, do you have thoughts on that? Everything that you just said and everything that he's executed from the second he's walked in the door indicates absolutely yes. And I think that there's still going to be a lot of changes made, and it will continue to indicate that, yes, Ron Rivera is absolutely in control. And it's, in my opinion, his job to maintain that control and make sure that he maintains that control. What, we, we've joked about it and said, like, you, you get married, and then, you know, the first time your buddies ask you to go hang out, and your wife says, I don't want you to, and you stay home, then you lose a little bit of control, and then she keeps that forever. So, <laughs> any little thing that comes up, Ron's just got to make sure that he keeps that control. But right now, he has it. Right. Would be my belief. Yeah. And, and, and would be exactly what I've seen. 
Um, are there any uh, any of the hires that you've been really super impressed with? Like, does anybody stand out? I mean, everybody's focused in on Jack Del Rio, obviously. Um, Scott Turner's a bit of an unknown, uh, but we all know his father. Um, any of the you know assistant coaching hires, uh, and do any of them really stand out? Have you met any of them? Talked to any of them? Anybody uh, really impress you? Well, I'll tell you one of my favorite things that he did is that he kept Nate Catcher, our special teams coach from last year. Right. And I'd had a chance to go to every practice last year and really watch this team, the Redskins, throughout the entire year very closely. And I was blown away by Catcher. Totally impressed with The players responded to him. Tons of energy, tons of knowledge. Does a heck of a job. And so keeping Catcher, I think, was a tremendous hire. I, I like Del Rio. I, I got to go back and watch some of Del Rio stuff. Um, I, I can't. I should know exactly who Del Rio is. I mean, I know exactly who he is, but I should know exactly how I feel about that hire. I'm not. I, I can't. I don't. And I think Scott Turner's a bit of a, a risk to some extent, and it's probably a risk on a, on part where Ron feels really comfortable with, with where he believes he's going to grow, because Turner's a guy that called four games in Carolina. And has been a quarterbacks coach, and so is he going to be a, an incredibly creative guy? Is he going to be a disciplined, limited offense guy? I don't know what Turner. I don't think anybody knows exactly what Turner is. Is it going to be Norris offense? Is it going to be a variation of that? So I think that one's still out. The, the verdict's still out on that one um, until he plays Joe Judge. But uh. <laughs> yeah, until he plays the the coach that was the special. But it's funny, just that you know um, we haven't seen it a lot over the years. Special teams coaches being hired as head coaches, but the John Harbaugh example is the all time best, really. Um, unless you want to go all the way back to Marv Levy uh, in Buffalo, um, he was a special teams coach here under George Allen. But um, yeah, we don't know anything about it. We can get to that in, in a little bit. But um, yeah, I, the the offense is, you know, in terms of the way it'll be called and designed is sort of up in the air right now unless you just assume it'll be sort of a Norv-style offense. Um, I'd ask you if you if you have a sense at this point um, if they're all in on Dwayne Haskins. It's hard not to be all in on Dwayne Haskins based on who he is, where he was drafted, the way he performed, the way he grew through last year. That'll be something that they'll have to make a decision on is if Alex Smith is going to contribute as a starter to this team or if Alex Smith is going to be a backup or if Alex Smith can even play. Uh, and then the only other, I think, interesting proposition would be is if they really weren't committed, that's when you'd find out if you had true control. And I'm not suggesting that they're not committed in any way, shape, or right. form. If, one, the Bengals took Jay Shung, and Joe Burrow sitting at two, you'd find out for sure if they're committed. Yeah. Or if they traded away number two for picks, got a, I don't know, six later in the, the six in the first and whatever, and took the kid out of Oregon or Tua or any of the other guys remaining on the board or traded further back in the draft and ended up getting, you know, the quarterback from Washington or Jake Fromm or. You'd find out if they're you'll find out if they're committed by any moves that they make potentially in the draft, and then then furthermore you'll find out by Alex Smith's progress and how involved he is. Um, you, you mentioned Alex Smith. I mean, is there a chance 
that he can play in the National Football League in 2020? <laughs> Remember when we had the bet that I owe you 50 yeah, bucks you, from or yeah, something? Yeah, you, you owe me on that, that one. I said there, there's a chance that he comes <clears> back and he's at least on the game day roster for the last game of the season. Yeah, we made that um, bet. You lost. I'm not going to bet against Alex Smith. I've watched him work, and I've watched his dedication to get better, and he is he's committed to at least finding out if he can play. And I totally understand what he's doing right now. I, can't, I don't know if he'll get there or not. He's not there yet. But he's getting closer every day. But it was kind of like when I tried to come back and play like four years ago after being out, three years out. Right. I just had to prove to myself that I could or couldn't. And my belief is that I got myself ready to play and that I could have, but no one gave me an opportunity. And at that point, I was fine with it. I was like, well, if no one's going to give me an opportunity, there's no way to get back in the league to play. Then what else do I have to prove? And I think that's something that Alex is going through right now, that, hey, look, I just want to prove that I can get back to where I have a chance to play. And if he does and he gets a chance, we'll see. I'd bet against it, personally. Um, and if you want to, you know, just double or nothing the bet, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that now. I'll say that he is not going to play in 2020. Um, and, and if, and if he, he, do we want to keep the bet the way it stands? Is that he's just got to be on the active game day roster? Sure, give you a chance to get it back. I mean, I, I just <laughs> see. Here's the thing, too. You, you have to think about this from you know, and this this will be um, a, a, an interesting decision that the that Ron Rivera uh, is going to have to make, and that is counts 21 million against the cap next year. If he comes back and he's able to play professional football, isn't he then almost by um contract uh you know uh what, what based on what his contract says, isn't he competing for the starting job? Well, he's competing for the starting job if he can play because Alex Smith's a good player. But then it also you also think do we want to essentially hamstring the development of Dwayne Haskins at this point. Yeah. I, I mean, there's some tough decisions to be made there. Right. Or if Alex Smith says, because, by the way, Colt McCoy and Case Keenum are both free agents. If Alex Smith says, I would love to be back here and be the two, and if you guys want to draft a three later, bring in another three, and we end up having to have three this year, then we do. I, I, I'm not sure how they handle it. Well, if he can't play, they're going to have to sign another quarterback. And you know, well, if he can't play, that's a different story. But I'm suggesting if he can play, and he, yeah. was, and he was willing to be, like, when you say willing to be, no one. I don't know if anybody else is going to pay him or sign him, knowing where he's at. Right. So this might be his last chance, and so maybe his last chance to ever play in this league is to be the two behind Dwayne and continue to get better through the season and see where he is. I'm not sure, Kevin. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I talked about it on the radio show today, and, and I'll just I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Like all of the hand wringing and angst and discussion over, you know, Eric Schaefer and Doug's move and Rob Rogers and all of this stuff just is tedious to me. Like it's I'm not suggesting that Eric Schaefer isn't a smart guy, good lawyer, good numbers guy, the whole thing. Um, I'm just suggesting that the reaction from a lot of people in the media and even some fans as if, you know, he is somehow irreplaceable is ludicrous. Am I right or wrong? You're right. 
I think Schaefer is, well, first of all, Schaefer's been a good friend of mine for a long time. Right. So when this happens, it's one of those things where you don't want to see it happen to your friends. Sure. And you, I want to, I like a world where I see my friends at work. And, and when I say that, I'm not suggesting that they're there and they're my friends and they, so they're terrible or, you know. Eric is a very competent and capable guy. And he's very good at what he does. He's been very good at managing the cap and, and working as general counsel. But to say that that's irre- irreplaceable, I mean, 30 other, 32 other teams have that role, and there are a lot of other people that are capable of doing that role. Yeah, I mean, I know that he's smart, and he's a good guy, and he's a good numbers guy, and he's a good lawyer, but, you know, it's spreadsheets and, you know, NFLPA contract templates, you know, with some creativity around it. It's not rocket science, ultimately. And I, you're listening to some of our, our media, and you'd think that they just lost the guy in the organization that's the difference between, you know, 8-8 eight and eight in the Super Bowl. I just I don't get that reaction. And I, w- I wish him the best, and I'm sure he'll find a spot because he was well-respected, highly regarded, and all of that. Um, but anyway. Uh, no, I think, and I think when you say that, the guy, I think the guy is Kyle Smith. And so I'll be interested in what direction they go with Kyle. And if he stays in his role, which is a good role, by the way, head of college scouting is the step below GM anywhere. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a good role, and he's done a heck of a job in that role, and he's continuing to get better and better. And I think Kyle's a good manager of people. That's another thing that you're finding out here over the last couple of years, going from just scout to head of college scouting. is You can see that he's good at managing people, and he's good at running the meetings, and he's good at executing his plan. So I think that's something that he's really proven over the last couple of years as well. For a young guy in that role, you have to prove those things. Um, but I think he's kind of the guy, in my opinion, right now. There, there's other good scouts and there's other good people in our building, but that role, if you have someone that, that's that good at understanding how to find talent, how to match your talent to your staff and to your, to your team, that's invaluable. Of course. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get to these games uh, in a minute. But I, I wanted to um, to ask you. You know, the, the Redskins have not played on this weekend since January of 2006. It's been 14 years since the team played in divisional um, uh, round uh, weekend. You were on that team. What do you remember about that game in Seattle? You guys had beaten Tampa in the wild card game on the road 17-10. to 10. What do you remember about the game at Seattle that you lost? That it was, it was fucking loud, man. <laughs> right. Like, whoa. It, from start to finish, it was loud. It was loud in the huddle. It was loud on the sideline. It was wild. And that was the end of my second year. So I'd been a few places. I'd played in Kansas City that year. I'd played in Denver that year, obviously, New York, Philly. Nothing came close. And it's a playoff environment as well. Seattle's always loud, and we've right. been there again in, in the regular season. But nothing was ever as loud in my career as that one game in particular. And I just remember thinking that we should have won the game. I remember playing well in that game. I remember a couple big catches that I made in that game. I remember the Carlos Rogers deal. I, I remember the plane ride home a lot. I remember sitting there thinking, you know, it's a long year. It's, it's my second year. This is a long year, man, and this is grueling, but 
we're that close. I mean, we're that close. Like a couple more weeks, and we this is. But I also remember thinking, and we're gonna get this. We'll do this next year. Right. And we never did it again. Yeah, you never got back to that point again. The the thing that a lot of fans will remember about that particular game is that the Redskins were up 3 nothing, and it was getting late in the second quarter. I mean, 3 nothing, hard-hitting, defensive game, both teams sort of struggling offensively, and Matt Hasselbeck threw one right to Carlos Rogers for a pick six, and he dropped it. Yeah. And in that game, the way it had been going, a 10 nothing lead was going to feel almost like a 17 nothing lead. You know, and it may have changed the direction of the game, and it was right in his hands, and it was like at the 20-yard line, and it was a walk-in touchdown, and he dropped it. And we would later, you know, go on to find out that Carlos Rogers did not have very good hands. But it was well, a, he just didn't have very good. He did have good hands because he went to San Francisco and had a ton of interceptions. Yeah, that's in true. Because yeah. he needed glasses. Oh, that's what it was. That's right. He needed he needed glasses or contacts. Which he got when he got to San Francisco, but they didn't figure it out here. Is that what happened? Yes. <laughs> I also remember about that game that it was basically you and Santana, and that was it. Because Taylor Jacobs, who was a Spurrier pick in the draft, was on the team. And, and there were a bunch of receivers. I think a, a couple of receivers were injured you know, from uh, going into that playoff game. Um, God damn! Why am I forgetting the uh, the the receiver? I mean, Th- Thrash was on the team. Who am I? Who am the I? The guy from t- that we got from New England. The yes, year before that year. Um, what was his name? Why am I forgetting? Blanking on his name. Start- it's it's. I don't know because I should know it too because I know him. Is it Marcus? No. No, Patton. David Patton. David Patton. David Patton. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say Marcus Patton, Dave, 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 uh, David Patton. Yeah, he was hurt, and he was okay. He wasn't bad. Um, that was that was one of those years. It was strange because you guys were really good offensively, and coming down the stretch, you had to win those five games in a row, which included you know maybe the best game of your career against the Cowboys when you guys blew out the Cowboys. You beat the Giants, you beat the Eagles to clinch the playoff berth, and then you got to the postseason and you could not move the football at all. No, at all. We, we got to the Tampa Bay game, and we, had, we looked like the Tennessee Titans. It was almost just like Tennessee won that, their last game against New England. <laughs> right. The quarterback had 72 yards passing. Well, Mark, Mark, Brunel had, Mark Brunel had 41 yards passing in that game. 41 yards passing. The team had 120 yards of total offense Yet you won a playoff game 17-10. to 10. Sean Taylor had the fumble return. There was a, a pick that set up a touchdown early, and, and that was it. I mean, Gibbs, you know, you got the lead, and you sort of went conservative a little bit. You didn't really have to move the football. Uh, yeah, that, that, game was, that game was a wild game. You know, I've been... I don't know. It's, just, it's, hard to th- it's hard to think of. The one thing, I know that you make fun of our team and how goofy some of us were, and you don't think that we were as close as we think that we were, but we were close. And we were really close, and we were good. Our defense was good. And we had a, it was kind of like the formula for winning where the Redskins won some games last year where you had ball control and you ran it and you made a few big throws. Like we, we were good that year, and we, our chemistry was so good. Our group was tight. 
I I don't make fun of the Gibbs teams. I love the Gibbs teams and and those teams. And I, it was funny because I was going to ask you uh, defensively because I thought that team was good defensively. And I thought love. I mean, they you guys knocked Sean Alexander out of that playoff game. And, you know, LeVar was so talented and he was starting to play well. And you had Sean, you know, obviously in his second year playing well. Ryan Clark. I, I love that team. I, I really loved some of those teams. I don't think you were a Super Bowl winner. I, you, you're, you're suggesting that, you know, maybe. And you know what? If you win that game against Seattle, you go to Carolina. That was the NFC Championship game the following week probably winnable no it, it, you're exactly right and then you would play seattle or excuse me pittsburgh in the super bowl that year that's right and there was we could have beaten carolina and we could have beaten pittsburgh so whether or not we were the your run-of-the-mill super bowl team for that year we could have been a super bowl team could have been a super bowl winner that year we weren't so we don't need to talk about it but there's a like there were there weren't going to be we weren't going to be the Plus seven in either of those games. No, we would have been. It would have been. No one would have been a heavy favorite against us. Yeah, Seattle. Um, here it is. Seattle. The following week at home against Carolina was an eight and a half point favorite over the Panthers. Yeah. By yeah. the way, at that time in Carolina, it would have been a home game for us. Right. Yeah, probably would have been. There would have been a lot of Redskin fans in Charlotte for an NFC Championship game. Redskins and Panthers. It would have been at a minimum fifty-fifty. Yeah, you know, um, not to spend too much time uh, on this because I, I do want to get to the games. That 2005 season was similar to the 2012 season in terms of the most optimistic moment. I mean, I was very optimistic at the end of 2001 with Marty, but you weren't here. Um, but at the end of that 2005 season, I was optimistic as a Redskins fan. It was Joe. You know, it was year two of Joe, and you had finished that first year, your rookie year, pretty strong. You know, you'd knocked Minnesota out of the playoffs in the final game of the year. And 2005, you know, it was a Joe kind of team coming together. And so my expectation at the time was that this was the beginning of a run. I did feel that way in the moment. I think in hindsight, I you know, I, I throw it into the – you know, in, into the barrel of seasons that just didn't produce, even though it, the, this one produced more than any other. In the moment, after barely losing to Seattle in the divisional round of the playoffs, I thought the following year it was going to happen. But you know what happened in 2006. Bunch of bad yeah, off-season moves. We, we lost to the Vikings. We lost to the Cowboys. We got back to 2-2. Two and two, Then we lost three straight or four. Yeah, three straight somewhere. And then it was kind of like, geez, we're 2-5. and five. What yeah, the but, heck happened here? But, and our offense did not operate the way that it, we expected it to operate. We had a completely new offense. We had a completely new quarterback. And defensively, you made moves, and our defense wasn't good. They made a couple moves that I don't think anybody saw. Ryan Clark and Antonio Pierce hurting us as much as they did being gone. Yeah. and Adam- Now, you talk to every one of the players on our teams, but – I wasn't playing GM at that time, so I was just—I thought they were good players, you know. I show up, practice guy, go play. <laughs> right. Talk to any of the guys like Clinton or any of the guys that were more involved or thought they were more involved, and it was like they—they they knew innately, like this is going to be the downfall of our defense. 
Yeah. But that's also hindsight. So. I mean, no Ryan Clark, no LeVar Arrington, no um, somebody else. And in comes, you know, Adam Archuleta playing out of position. You trade for Brandon Lloyd, tear up his contract, give him a new contract before the season starts. The team trades a second and a fourth for TJ Duckett. I mean, and to your point, it was the it was Joe not being you know confident enough in his ability to scheme up an offense and and handing the reins over to Al Saunders. It, it, I just look back on it, and I Joe's offense was really simplistic. We were never going to be in the current NFL a a powerhouse offense. Um. But we something worked for us the way we played football. Yeah. But but I look back on it and I don't. I I like eighty percent of Al's offense a lot. That the twenty percent wasn't going to change. He was going to do it the way he was doing it. It wasn't as complicated or as hard as anybody made it. it. You just needed a quarterback to operate in the timing of that offense, and we just didn't have it. We had Jason in his second year, and it wasn't a fit for him. And by the way, he wasn't drafted for that fit. He was drafted for Joe's. And it just didn't – and the reason I, – I mean, I know this, I've said this before, is because when Todd Collins, who had been with Al forever, came in in 2007, in week whatever, it was like it clicked. Oh, this is, this is what this offense should be. So that's, that's how important the marriage is between coordinator and quarterback. That 2007 season, when you went back to the playoffs and you played at Seattle, was, was it as loud that day as it was – in 2005, after the 2005 season? It was, it was very loud, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you know you're going to go watch a good movie, it's never as good as if you go in and <laughs> the first low time. expectations. Yeah, right. and you're the first time. I mean, you <clears throat> walk out and you're like, that was the best. Well, that was the first time in Seattle. Yeah. Um, that, ga- that game got really interesting, too, um, when the Redskins came back and actually took the lead in the fourth quarter. Um, all right, um, let's get to these four uh, NFL playoff games right after I tell everybody about mybookie.ag. You want to bet on these games this weekend? I do have a smell test coming up later on in the show. Um, go to mybookie.ag. They're reliable, fast payouts, plenty of ways to bet. You can bet a straight bet, parlay, teasers, uh, in-game action, lots of future stuff, plenty of basketball, all the sports you want to bet available at mybookie.ag. The key is you want to know from somebody who knows about this stuff that they are reliable because there are shops out there that aren't. Mybookie.ag is. If you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra 1000 in free money to play with. You have to use my promo code, KevinDC, K-V-I-N-D-C, to get that offer at mybookie.ag. All right. Um, let's look at these games this weekend. First of all, since I ha- we haven't talked on the podcast, go back to last weekend real quickly. Um, and w- you know the game that I was rooting for. I was rooting for Kirk. I wanted him to do well. How impressed were, were, uh, were you with what he did? Well, I went back yesterday and watched all the film and did like a mini film breakdown with Kirk. Oh, you did? <laughs> it was out of nostalgia. You didn't tell yeah, me that you did I, that. I, okay. So tell me how he played. So I just, I mean, I wanted to go through and, and, and see how he played. And uh, I mean, the positives, he, he hit the checkdowns early in the game when he had to hit the checkdowns early in, his game, in, in the game. And it looked like a Kirk kind of game. Like I, I wrote down a positive, like third and 16. 
on the other side of the field, you get a check down for 10 yards, but you get yourself in the field goal range, you get three points. Right. Like you're probably not getting a third and 16. But you take a sack there, you punt. You don't get a completion, you punt. Right. And you, you get a little check down, you get into field goal range. Through the first half of the game, third and seven, first down. Third and five, thrown out route to Adam Thielen. Another first down. Big second and eight throw for 19 yards. And then he starts to get a little bit hotter and a little bit hotter. He hits Thielen on the corner downfield. And they end up getting down the field before the half, which, which was absolutely huge. Crucial. You know? They, Set up by they the Breeze stuck, interception. They got, yeah, they got stuck right there. To, uh, when they're down 10-3, they get stuck on the goal line. They can't get it in, and they end up having to settle. But getting to 13-6 at the end of the half was absolutely massive. 13-10, and then, 13-10 yeah. Thir- yeah, 13-10. Well, they, they took a 13-6, or excuse me, 13-10 lead, yes. Right. But then in the second half, like I wrote this one down and circled it, there's a third and nine with six minutes and 15 seconds in the third quarter. They have, they're playing man-to-man. They bring pressure. Kirk takes a hit in the back, and he gets a seam ball out to Adam Thielen all the way on the outside. But he'd hung in there long enough to look the safety off and hold the safety in the middle of the field. And he's drilled as he throws. So he's courageous. He's fighting in the pocket to hold the safety long enough to throw the ball to Thielen. His back doesn't pick up the backer that he needs to. And they get a huge catch down the field. And it's like, that's a big throw, dude. That's a big-time throw. And then later on that drive, they have a third and one. He boots out to the left. He starts to move upwards, running forward to the line of scrimmage. Like, maybe he's going to run it to third and one. And he lets it go to Diggs, and it gets him down to the one-yard line. That's a big throw, man. That is huge. Yeah, I thought he could have um, run it. I thought he could have run and made that one, and he threw it to Diggs, and it was sort of in traffic a little bit. But Diggs made a good catch, and they were first and goal at the one. Yeah, those are those are big time throws. Um, obviously, the overtime throws, the third and one slant to Diggs is huge. Yeah. You know, you look back on that and you say, look, a quarterback's going to throw fifty slants every single day in practice. They've done that forever. But in that moment, that's as big as the spot as it gets. To drill that ball on Diggs for the third and one slant is, is massive. And that, that's a lot of confidence in your staff that they have in him to make that kind of throw, to not just give it to Cook. And then the last throw to Thielen, everyone understands that that throw to Thielen is, is just freakish. I mean, that's the biggest throw he's ever made in his life. Yeah, that's what at this point. Aikman called it. Um, and then he, he's perfect on the fade to, to Rudolph. And I just laughed at that because the one thing he couldn't – there were two things he couldn't do here. He proved one of them wrong. He couldn't throw the fade. Remember right. Jay would all, Yeah. And he, and he can't quarterback sneak it. He still can't quarterback sneak <laughs> no, it. No, he can't. He, he can't. I don't know how he can. I actually, but, lo- I actually thought he got out of that little, um, you know, uh, when he got up out of the pile, he actually looked hurt for a moment. Did you notice that? I think he took a big shot on that quarterback sneak. Oh, yeah. He definitely took a shot on that quarterback sneak. I don't know. He can't sneak. But there were very little throw. There were very few negative. Like, you look at some of the negatives that I went through. He throws, uh, kind of forces one into Rudolph where he's getting held on a third down and it's almost picked. I thought that was holding early in the ballgame. He had an overthrow on the goal line. Oh, that was a terrible a- missed holding call against Rudolph. Yeah, terrible. Coming out of that yeah, break. So- yeah, they, the guy yeah. hooked him. When you want the P.I. late in the game on Rudolph, they were letting it go both ways all right. the game. So when you look back at it. it Good was, point. He had an overthrow on the goal line. He had a, a deep crosser off of a boot that he threw to Diggs that really one-hopped and was short. And 
you know, a sack on a third and eight that I thought he could have moved or gotten a throw out. But for the most part, I, I looked at his overall stats. He threw for 242. A lot of times you glorify these stats and you say yards after catch. It wasn't a yards after catch game. A lot of these throws were all air yards. He only had 19 screen yards passing in the game. Right. So it wasn't a screen game. And he had 109 yards on third down throws. Yeah. He made big throws in the critical moments of the game. They were 10 of 18 on third downs. He managed the game. They owned time of possession. He kept them in scoring position when he had to keep them in scoring position. I thought he was, I thought he was excellent. I texted him after the game and told him. I texted him and Rudolph, told him, you guys are amazing. It was a fun game to watch. It was really a fun game to watch. You know, yeah, there were there were balls dropped too. Uh, BC Johnson dropped a third round, uh, third down conversion. I thought that, which one of which was one of his best throws of the day, or he threw one down the middle which was to one Hollins. Of his best throws of the day. That, yeah, to Hollins, number fifteen. That really, that's an A plus throw. Yeah, I mean, Aikman, Aikman was nitpicking it, said he could have let him a little bit more, and it would have been six. But that that's a catchable ball. Um, yeah, yeah, but he jumped for it, so I mean. Yeah. It, it, if you just run under it, you, you are let a little more. So I'm worried about tomorrow because of San Francisco's defensive front. I think it's a completely different animal that Minnesota's offensive line is facing. And Minnesota's offensive line, Cooley, has been inconsistent this year. There have been games where he has been immediately under siege and they haven't been able to run the football. And if that's the case tomorrow, they've got no shot against that team. How, how, tell me what you think about them going into San Francisco tomorrow. Well, one, I'm concerned if you like Kyle Shanahan more or if you like Kirk Cousins for more and who you really are rooting for in this game. Oh, I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for Cousins. I mean, because you also are friends with Mike, and so you might. I mean, that I, might no, I mean, if, if, if San Francisco wins, I'm going to root for the 49ers, and I'm going to root for Mike and, and Kyle. But I, I – you know, there's – there's just part of me, you know, it's like anything else, right? When when you do what, what I do and what you've done at various times over the last few years, you want to be right. In many ways, I think I've, I've already been right because I, I just said he was a good quarterback from the jump and he was a starting quarterback, top half of the league starting quarterback. And so I think I've been, I've been proven right on that. But I want it to go further. I want it to be definitive. And the problem with all of the Kirk naysayers is that Last week is if the, if he has a Kirk kind of game, or if he plays well and they lose, then the New Orleans game will just be yeah, you know he's Kirk Cousins except for that one time in New Orleans, you know when he was really great against Drew Brees, uh, you know in the Superdome. So I think he needs to get further to really silence once and for all his doubters. No, I'm with you. Um, I San Francisco's a better team. Than Minnesota right now. Well, so is New Orleans. I thought it was a good matchup for New Orleans or for Minnesota against New Orleans because I, I thought that that their stretch scheme and stuff with the way they run the ball, they'd be able to they'd be able to run the ball a little bit on them, and they were. I, I think it's going to be tougher to run the ball against the 49ers. but Minnesota's found a way to get it done against almost everybody. So we'll see with that. But I think that for me, like semi game planning this. Because if you're going in playing Kirk Cousins, you're going to bring a lot of pressure, and you're going to expect to time things up because he wants the ball out of his hands. And so I would look at this almost like Case Keenum did a couple years ago. Or no, excuse me, almost like Nick Foles did a couple years ago against Minnesota. 
is they said, we're going to go double moves. We're going to try to find a way to buy a little bit of extra time, and we're going to get shots down the field. Like, if he can get shots down the field early in the ballgame off of some double moves and some good looks, then it will change what that 49ers game plan is defensively. So they've got to find a way to keep him off balance, and, and I think try to find a way to get a couple explosive plays early in that game. But if they don't and you're relegated to some of those over routes and short throws and check downs, I think the pressure is going to end up overcoming them, and that will make it really tough. So I, I see San Francisco winning that game. Yeah, I think, I think... I think they're they're better on offense. I think some of the boot concepts and what they do – to Minnesota's like Minnesota likes to play middle of the field open split field split field coverages like some of those boot concepts really mess with that and and Kittle's kind of an X factor there. I, I think San Francisco is just too. I think they're too potent and I think defensively it, it's a, it's just a mismatch. Yeah, I. I think it's I, San Francisco is the better team. Clearly, they need Thielen too, who's you know cut his ankle um, in practice the other day. It's funny because you and I used to always do this thing, and I've done it on the podcast and on the radio show, even without you, over the last year and a half or whatever it's been um, about you know Redskins win if. And I would I would look at this game, and you said take shots and maybe you know uh, go. I mean, you're talking about sort of a max protect situation and trying to hit you know digs on on deep balls. I'm just saying, even if it's third down and you're not max protecting, you're going to have to find a way to take shots. Yeah, because I, part of me thinks that San Francisco's number one. Uh, pr- the the top priority defensively is going to be to stop the run because if they if Cook doesn't run the football then you don't have the play action you don't have the boot you don't have you know you don't have third and makeables you have third and longs and I would come out and throw the football from the beginning maybe you know I've watched him a couple yep. times this year with him in shotgun going hurry up and they've been very effective that way I am absolutely with you. And, you know, you can mix in some of the short throws, but there's got to be something taking off of some of those short throws here and there to open up the defense. And the thing is, is they have two guys that can do it. You know, you have Stephon Diggs, who's as good of a double-move player as there is in the NFL, and a deep threat, and then Adam Thielen, who's just right there as well. So I I think that they have to – I think they have to risk it a little bit. I think they got to come out and, and take some risks early in that ballgame. What's your confidence level in Garoppolo playing as well as he did down the stretch in his first playoff game? Garoppolo high is really, really good. And when Garoppolo has weapons around him, like he does now in Emmanuel Sanders and Dante Pettis is a good player, and Debo Samuel yeah. and George Kittle and the other tight end, Dwelly's a pretty, pretty good player yeah. as well. Like when he's When he's got all of that together and then they have the run game going and by the way you gotta you gotta mention juice check who's also another he's been pretty good and garoppolo hots is a different thing and to me it's it's like he is willing to see it just about a half second longer than kirk like kirk will get it out garoppolo will spend just a, the one hitch longer to get that big throw and he's got such a quick release and a strong arm that he's spitting them in. And Minnesota's defense got their hands full this week. So, and it's it's an entirely different scheme than they had the week before against the Saints. I'll be like, I think the thing I'll be most interested in in, in this game is 
just what game plan Minnesota wants to try to execute. Because right now you can't put Rhodes on an island, and especially against some of these guys. You just like Rhodes was their star guy, and everything was built around that defensively, and now he's the one guy you got to protect. So how do they protect him? Yeah, I mean, it's funny about him because you know, as as recently as a year ago, you know, uh, you know, certainly during the regular season last year, Rhodes was considered you know borderline elite corner, and he was really um, a problem for them this year. And he got banged up last week in the game, so I don't even know how healthy he is. All right, let's go to the game Saturday night, Tennessee at Baltimore. Do you give Tennessee a chance to run the football, possess the football, and hang in there against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens? Yeah, I think the two teams that scare Baltimore are the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Tennessee Titans, and they scare them in different ways. You obviously saw how afraid of, of Kansas City Baltimore was early in the year. They're a little bit different team now, but we went through this on the podcast, like all the analytic plays they made and right. all the crazy things Harbaugh did. But I think Tennessee scares you because the way they're running the ball right now is really hard to stop, and it's very similar defensively what Baltimore does to what New England does. They're built very similar. Uh, with, I mean, obviously they have good players up front, but they're a DB-built kind of defense. You're not going to throw the ball on them. But t- Tennessee is, is going to consistently run it. <laughs> they're like a high school option team, but they run zone. They, they're another Shanahan team. By the way, how about that in the playoffs? Was yeah. I sidetracked? Yeah. How many Shanahan runs there? I think there are, out of the eight, there are five Shanahan run systems. Um, Tennessee's one, Green Minnesota, Bay is one. Minnesota, San Francisco, yeah, Green Bay, uh, Tennessee, that's four. Who's the fifth? Yeah, and by the way, Houston does a lot of it too. Yeah. Houston's more zone than anything else. So four, it's five and a half. Minnesota, San Francisco, Tennessee, Green Bay, half of Houston. Right. Okay. Um, they're going to run it. And they're going to keep running it. And Derrick Henry, right now, is playing as good as any back in the world. Oh, my God. He's so good. He's so hard to tackle, and he hits small holes and small creases, and he gets so many yards after contact that if Tennessee can just find a way to score a couple touchdowns, then they'll be in good shape. Like, you looked at that last – I watched that last game, and Tannehill had two throws, both of them to Frisker. That were big throws. He threw the Huge touchdown throw. Pressure, the last one was a monster throw. Uh, yeah, they motion him across, and they run him on a corner route and man-to-man coverage, and Frisker wins, and it's a huge throw. They had one bad one that was the pick that it really was a throw up for grabs under pressure, and it yeah. ended up looking worse than – I think he was just trying to get rid of it. But it's going to be the same kind of deal. Like, Tennessee doesn't have man-to-man separators. Baltimore will probably press them and play man-to-man. Tannehill didn't have a bunch of open receivers. It wasn't that he played bad. He didn't have anywhere to throw the ball. I didn't think he played poorly either. And he made the big throws when they had to have them. Yeah, he made two big things. He's had 72 yards. 22 of them were on a screen yeah. to Henry. But Henry's a beast. And that run game, that, dude, all of these teams, it's just crazy. Baltimore's first in the league, San Francisco's second in the league, Tennessee's third in the league. Like, they're all in the top ten rushing. You win because you run the ball late in the year. So I think Tennessee gives them a run for their money. It's just that if Tennessee gets down, they're, they're done. That's, I just don't, yeah. I don't see them coming back. 
Ross Tucker was on the podcast the other day, and he started to describe it that way. And I'm like sitting there visualizing it. I'm like, oh my god, you're so spot on. Like if Baltimore wins the toss, takes the ball, or Tennessee wins it and defers, and Baltimore goes right down the field and scores, and then Tennessee punts and then out, and then they're down fourteen nothing. It's like over. Tennessee has to keep stay in a game where they can possess the football by running the football and not be in a position where they have to to throw it to come back. If they do, like if they don't get up early or if they don't keep it close early, it's got 38-10 written all over it, which is what Baltimore's done to a lot of teams. The the interesting thing about the Ravens, Cooley, and I point... It's not going to be 38 because Tennessee's defense is good enough that it's not going to be 38. Baltimore's rolled over everybody. Except for the teams that could possess the ball by running it. Like the 49ers could ran the football against Baltimore. Buffalo ran it a little bit with Singletary to sort of hang in there. Um, but if you haven't been able to possess the football by running it, no one's been able to stop Baltimore. Nobody. No. I mean, it's just it's so hard because the way they're built. They did such a good job building that team. You know, last year when the Chargers came in and, played six DBs, and it made it a little bit harder for Lamar to run, and they kind of stymied him early early with some coverages. And Baltimore just doubled out and said, you know what, We're, we drafted Hayden Hurst and Mark Andrews in the first and second round. We're going to repay our other dude, who's I think one of the best tight ends, blocking tight ends in the league. What's his name? Um, Boyle, Nick Boyle. Yeah, yeah, right. And, um, and you're not going to play six DBs against us. We'll go heavy personnel, and we'll run it down your throats. And, so, they, and they are. And they do, and they can, and they complement off of it because when you get linebackers on the field, all of those tight ends are very good receiving tight ends. Hurst isn't the best, but Hurst, or excuse me, uh, Boyle's not the best, but Boyle's still pretty good. I, I mean, it's just hard to stop. So yeah. Mark Andrews there is, 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 is banged up a little bit, um, and I don't know what his status is for the game, and so is Ingram, but Gus Edwards is damn good. Gus um, Edwards is good, but really anybody's going to be good. It's like when Alfred Morris exactly. had that year with Robert Griffin, and that like, and I don't want to take away from Ingram because Ingram is a, a really good player. But you're going to have a back eight yards, and they they play fast on offense. They're not complex. They play fast, and that's what the Gibbs teams would have evolved to. <laughs> that yeah, yeah probably. Um, Kansas City, Houston, the early game Sunday. Houston got through in a crazy game against Buffalo. The Chiefs, you know, Cooley, they haven't been so dynamic and so unstoppable offensively since Mahomes came back. Do you give Houston a shot? No, I don't think Houston has a shot. And I think it starts with Kansas City's defense, who is getting better every single week um, and is dynamically better than last year. By the way, I wish we would, like, the Honey Badger is one of the best players in the league. Like, he's one of the most versatile players in the league. Tyron Matthew, I love him. He's phenomenal. But Spagnuolo's done a really good job with that defense. I just don't see Deshaun Watson right now seeing the field, picking blitzes up. He's struggling back in the pocket. If he doesn't have his one read, he doesn't know if he wants to try to move in the pocket or scramble or check down, and he's taking hits back there, and Kansas City's going to get after him with a ton of pressure. And I think it's going to be a problem for Deshaun Watson in this game. Uh, I, if I'm Houston, on the on the other side of that, the counter side of that is, I think Deshaun Watson needs to get a big play, a big run early in the game. I almost want to design a big run. Like a week ago, he he had a big run, I think, in the third quarter, and it kind of set him off. And then he was a different player. Like you got to get him going early and feel comfortable early, and they'll have to run the ball. They can, but uh, I just 
Kansas City's offense is with two weeks. If Andy Reid doesn't have something ready that would look like Drew Locke and Denver about a month ago against Houston, I'd be surprised. I don't think this one's. I, I don't think. I think this is probably the worst game of the weekend. Really? You never, it's a playoff game, but I just. I think Kansas City's better. Better well, ball club right now. I, I think I'm going to be on the other side of that uh, with you. Uh, plus the points. It's a big number. It's ten, and I think Houston played a very good defensive team last week, and I know Kansas City's improved. But I actually think they've got a chance to play and play well. And, you know, I like their running backs. I think Carlos Hyde is good. I think Duke Johnson's versatile. Um, I like both their backs. Yeah, I like both of their backs. And if, if Will Fuller plays, they're different on offense. Yeah, they missed him last week, definitely. Um, last game of the weekend is uh, Seattle at Lambeau. Green Bay's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. You know, this is the one where every NFL analyst and expert is convinced that Russell Wilson's going in there and beating the Packers, who have not really been super impressive this year, even though they're a two-seed. How do you see it? First thing, if you had to pick a quarterback, pick one of those two right now. God, it's it's actually really hard because I think Russell Wilson is an absolute winner and, and, and difference maker in almost every game he plays. I think right now, I think I would take Russell Wilson. I would take Russell Wilson right now. That's big but for you I'm, because you haven't always been the biggest fan, although you've said he's having a ridiculous year. He's had a ridiculous last couple of years. He's gotten so much better as a, as a player. And when you watch – so I watched – I've watched every one of these last playoff games on film, offense and defense, and when you watch them against the Eagles, it wasn't perfect, but everything's Russell Wilson. I, I, we got some tweets like, you guys were wrong on DK Metcalf. Yeah, well, I knew that yeah. in week 10. Okay, week ten, I was, and I didn't need to see that playoff game. He and he made some excellent plays in that ball game, and his burst and his speed has been impressive. Do but, you think Philadelphia would have won with Wentz? Yeah, I do it too. Been a why why do you been a say that? Game. Because I'm not blown away by Seattle's defense. They're me, not the same neither. as they've been in the past. Yeah, they I, give up a ton of yards passing. You can run it on them. They turn people over, but they also don't get a lot of pressure at times. They're not a big sack team. I think Wentz would have had some time. The one thing you you wonder is, did he have enough around him? I mean, is Greg Ward as your number one receiver? I mean, Josh McCown. They moved the ball up and down the field with McCown. I mean, they were they they. I don't know how many times they punted with McCown. It wasn't a lot, and and they just you know they missed fourth downs that I think Peterson should have kicked field goals on. I'm sure he thinks he should have kicked field goals on as well. Now. Not then. Uh, I just think Wentz would have been a better red zone quarterback than McCown. Yeah, Wentz is, Wentz is pretty good, man. He, he's a pretty good quarterback. I, I know he's, it seemed like he isn't in a couple of the things that have come out, but he, he's a pretty good quarterback. I, I, I'd bet on Wentz. But I did, the reason I would I mean, in, that, in this instance, here's the thing. Seattle could not run the ball. And this is my concern for Seattle into this week's game, is they don't have any backs. Marshawn Lynch is not Marshawn Lynch anymore. No, they lost and the Penny other, and, and they, they lost Carson. They're both out. Right. Yeah, they, they can't run the football. It's, it's, it's all Wilson and Metcalf. And they've been and banged up up like front in their off, offensive line. They lost the tight end that they drafted a year ago, so they're, they're sitting there with – Luke Wilson and I think Jacob Hollister wears number yeah. 48. 48. You cannot yeah. block anybody. He, he went to Wyoming, uh, I think. 
I think Hollister uh, played with um, played with Josh Allen. I think he was his tight end. I'm pretty sure. I it, I may be thinking about another white slow tight end, but I think Hollister. Uh, no, nope, you're right. Am I right about him? I just looked it up. Yeah. No, I'm not saying he's not doing an adequate job for where he is, but they've been banged up up front, and you're looking at those couple tight ends, hard to get to the edge, and Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> yeah, Travis Homer, who actually <laughs> ran really well against the 49ers in that final uh, game of the, of the of the year. But um, yeah, they, They're I, struggling to run the ball, and that was a huge asset that they'd had going through this entire year. Yeah. Now, the one thing I'd say is – the crazy thing when you watch them, Russell Wilson can take a sack on first down or he can take a sack in a second down situation and, and you're still in a second and 16 or third and 16, and then he's picking it up. And you're, oh, this, this, is a, this is a dagger. Like, how is he getting this? It's amazing. And, and many, by the way, yeah. if he's not running for it, watch, it, watch close when you watch this game. The second he even starts to deviate from the pocket, those receivers are adapting and adjusting. Their scramble drill is the best in the league. Like, he hit DK Metcalf on a, on a scramble drill early in that game up the right sideline. Yeah. It was a thing of beauty. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he hit Tyler Lockett on a couple about. scramble drills, and you were, he hit Lockett on one scramble drill that ended up getting called back for holding. That I, I wrote down. I, let, me, let, me, let me find where I wrote down this, this, uh, this note. Like, oh, yeah. Wilson's scramble drill off script to to uh, DK Metcalf and to Tyler Lockett is magic. That's why I wrote magic. <laughs> it, it's amazing. And so here's the thing for Seattle. They, they'll live and die by the big play. They're going to live and die by the big play. And why they're winning still is, is because Russell doesn't turn it over. But what you said is so true, is that their third and, third and long means nothing. It's like he moves around, he jumps inside, then he bounces out, and here are the receivers, and they're adapting, and then somebody usually at the end of that is wide open, you know, and it's well, it's not even close to them. How many third and tens and longer does he get? It's, it's if if you've got if you bet against Seattle, which I think I'm going to do on Sunday because I, I think everybody likes him. Um, it, the the worst down seems to be third and and, and eleven, third and twelve. Where it's, so many other teams, he's he does not check it down much. No, well, short quarterbacks can't see the check down. <laughs> Is that the reason? Really? <laughs> That's what Rex Grossman told me a few years ago. He said, "I I know where the check down is. I just can't throw it. I can't see it." <laughs> yeah, well, he likes he he liked to throw it deep. All right, well, so that's because he couldn't see the short route. So Seattle or Green Bay? I'm not convinced with anything Green Bay has, and I think in part because offensively, I just don't think they've they've quite figured out their identity. I think Rodgers is a gun quarterback, and I think he sees it really well out of the gun. But they're a Shanahan zone scheme, and they don't get all of their zone things. Their best, their best plays on this year are Shanahan boot concepts. Yeah. And so as soon as Aaron understands, like, hey, I don't need to be McCarthy quick game on first and ten. Like, let's just go and hand the ball off, and let's run it, and let's get some boot action stuff, some run action pass stuff. And then they'll be in great shape. 
but it's the mirror of your coordinator and, and your your quarterback. So they can be explosive and they can make some big plays. And and I like some of Green Bay's weapons. I and I I'm not convinced yet defensively for Green Bay, but I'm convinced enough that they'll be able to handle Seattle's run game, which is almost unheard of. And then the one thing they can do is get after the pass a little bit. So I like Green Bay in that game. All right, last one. I'll let you run because we're um, at we're right sitting. You're there. over the 38 minutes you promised me. Well, you wanted you wanted 42. I, I'm assuming we're right around 42, Aaron, somewhere around there. I haven't been keeping track. Um, I have a question for you. My question is as follows: In the first playoff game of the weekend tomorrow, Minnesota at San Francisco, who do you think Dan and Bruce want to win the game? Minnesota. More than Kyle. Really? I would have thought Bruce definitely would have preferred uh, San Francisco over Kirk. Oh, let's, well, you can play it both ways. I, I would bet you that Dan would want San, or Minnesota. Dan, Dan wants Minnesota. Bruce wants San Francisco. I don't know. They don't like Kirk. You he want me to ask? He doesn't like Kirk. Well, I, I, know, I know that they've been rooting against Kirk Cousins. Since yeah, but they're left. also rooting against Kyle and that staff. But you, but but Kirk advancing makes them look worse. <laughs> it's old news. It's old news. All <laughs> right, uh, enjoy the games. I'll talk to you over the weekend. Okay, see ya. All right, thanks to Cooley. Let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's time for the smell test. I'll get to the picks in a moment. You know, I love this weekend. I think it's one of the best weekends in sports, Aaron. Um, there are a lot of we, – we love college basketball, so we love that first weekend of the NCAA tournament. I think Thanksgiving weekend is a phenomenal sports weekend, the extended weekend that really starts, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with all the – you know, college football, all the pro football, and you've got big-time college basketball getting started as well with some holiday tournaments. But this is a great weekend. Last weekend is a great weekend as well. Um, I was thinking about um, the Redskins in particular, and you know, I mentioned it with Cooley earlier. The Redskins haven't played uh, on this weekend for 14 years. I mean, that's unbelievable when you think about it. It's been 14 years. It's just once in the last 20 years that they've played on this weekend. Uh, this weekend is, you know, producing some people that you thought were going to be here. Um, like uh, teams like, um, obviously, Kansas City. Uh, I think a lot of people expected potentially a team like Green Bay or Seattle um, to be here, you know, uh, this late in the season. But it was... Um, it's interesting when you go back um, and you look at the preseason predictions, and I did that last night. Uh, you've got a lot of teams that were supposed to be here that aren't here. You know, that's the NFL, man. You, you, teams like the Cowboys, the Bears, the Rams, you know, New England, Indy, Cleveland was a real chic pick to, to win a playoff game and be playing on this weekend. You know, uh, you, you basically have half the teams that were projected to be here every year aren't. The NFL is the most difficult sports league to predict. Every year is a new year. Um, and that's what makes the NFL picks, even with the smell test, very difficult. All right, so last week we had four unders 
Uh, and we had three underdogs. Uh, I went two and two on the smell test. I'm saying overall, the four games produced three underdogs and four unders uh, in terms of the total. I had two winners in Minnesota and Houston and two losers with the over in the Houston game and Philadelphia. And I do think if Wentz had played um, that that probably would have uh, would have worked out. So tomorrow's San Francisco-Minnesota game, there isn't a public side. Uh, that game is really split pretty much right down the middle. Same thing on the total. Tomorrow night, however, there is a, there's a lot of belief in Tennessee. Um, so the first pick of the weekend, I'm going to give the Ravens out minus the 10. It's a big number. I, I Most of you know I like taking points. Um, there's sharp money on Baltimore. That line's back up to 10. Um, would not surprise me if that number goes a little bit higher, Aaron, uh, as we get closer to kickoff. Um, so grab it now at 10. Uh, but, yeah, there's some public action on Tennessee, sharp action on Baltimore. I'll take the Ravens laying the 10. Um, that is probably the one weather game of the weekend, rain in the forecast uh, tomorrow night uh, in Baltimore here as well, but warm, you know, exceptionally warm over the weekend, which will be nice. Sunday early. I like Tennessee plus the 10. Uh, very few people are on Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee. I like Houston, excuse me, plus the 10 at Arrowhead against Kansas City. I have a feeling this is the sneaky close game. Nobody thinks it's going to be close. Houston barely beat Buffalo. They'd come from behind to beat Buffalo. It's Mahomes. It's Andy Reid. It's Arrowhead with a week's rest. Um, I think Houston's going to find Kansas City easier to move the football against than Buffalo. I also see this as being a high-scoring game. I'm not giving it out, but I would lean the over in this game, which is now 51. But the official smell test release in this game is the Houston Texans plus the 10. And then the final game of the weekend, um, and the times on the Sunday games are not what they typically are, which is 1 o'clock 425 or 1 o'clock 440 during the playoffs, 305 and 640 on Sunday. So they're moving that second game into prime time. Much of it will be in prime time on the East Coast. Uh, Green Bay's a four-and-a-half-point favorite over the Seahawks. This is the game the public and all of the so-called experts are convinced uh, about. And you know what? From a straight analysis standpoint, I think I'd lean Seattle too, but the smell test tells me Green Bay laying the four-and-a-half. I think what it'll come down to is that Seattle defensively just isn't going to be good enough uh, in this game. So three plays, official plays. Baltimore minus 10, Houston plus 10, and Green Bay minus four and a half. Uh, lastly, before we go for the weekend, um, it's been a it's been a crazy two weeks. Two weeks ago, we were sitting here leading into the final regular season weekend of the year. The Redskins were going to play the Cowboys, and we had no idea what the hell was going to happen. I mean, I had a strong feeling that Bruce would be out. You know, there were at that point. Then it became clear. I think the Callahan wasn't coming back, but you know, Marvin Lewis's name was being mentioned. Uh, Ron Rivera's name was starting to get mentioned. Other names were being mentioned. We didn't know. If you recall, Aaron, two weeks ago. There was like this report from somebody that I hadn't heard of. Maybe others had heard of this particular person. But he came out with a report that Urban Meyer was going to be the head coach on that following Monday. And Alex Smith was joining the front office. And we spent time talking about that on the radio show and on the podcast. Um, the, the Two weeks later, you know, there's clarity. There's real clarity. And it's better than I could have ever thought two weeks ago. Bruce is gone. Callahan and that coaching staff 
are gone. Ron Rivera is in, and Ron Rivera's got real power. Now, I don't know how long it will last, but Ron Rivera's already ousted two people very close to Dan Snyder, Eric Schaefer and Larry Hess, the head athletic trainer, two guys that were with Snyder for the last 17, 18, 19 years, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, This is an indication that it is Rivera's show. I think that is a really, really good sign. Um, And I am very, I'm cautiously optimistic, at the very least, um, because they have some talent on this team. I'm starting to think that, you know, if Dan just completely stays out of the way and they get to do what they want to do, they'll be well coached, they'll make the right decisions here, or enough of them to have a significant turnaround in 2020, like three wins to maybe eight wins. That's a big turnaround, you know, and who knows? It's the NFL, like I just went through. Six, seven teams that you think are going to be in it aren't, and six or seven teams that you're absolutely sure won't be in it end up being in it. Uh, San Francisco was 4-12 and a year ago. They're the number one seed in the NFC playoffs right now. I'm not predicting that. I promise I'm not predicting that. All right. Um, thanks to Cooley for jumping on the show today. Thanks to Aaron for producing the show today. Enjoy the weekend. Back on Monday to talk about all of these playoff games.